Welcome to Vineyard Brisbane West podcast. It's great to have you with us. In this series, we dive deeper into the narratives we hold about God. Narratives play a fundamental role in forming our identity, both for the positive or the negative. So join us over the coming weeks as we explore the character of God displayed in the life and mission of Jesus. So we are continuing in our series, The Good and Beautiful God, and I thought it might be good for us to pause a moment and just ask ourselves, is God actually becoming more beautiful? No smiles? Are we seeing God's goodness more clearly? One or two smiles? Has the Lord become dearer? to our hearts since we've been journeying through his word? Do we see God's words spoken in scripture differently since we've started the series or? Yeah. A couple of people. So how's the process been for you? Well, I thought about it this week. I've had mixed results, but they're expected results. The results uh, reminded me of when I went from primary school, which uh, in my day was grade seven, into high school, which is grade eight. Um, Our first day of school, head of secondaries. Now, we've all had head of secondaries and they can be interesting characters, but this was um, probably the only quote I remember from my head of secondary. And this is what they said on the first day. They said... Our teachers are here to provide you with the ingredients to do well, but we are not here to bake your cake. Right? So in the same way, church and church life is exactly the same. So we are a community of people who are walking the journey. We are learning together. But really what we're doing is we're taking the basic ingredients, all of us, and we are learning how to posture ourselves towards the kingdom of God. But the church is not here to bake your cake, right? Worship is something that you as an individual or as a household need to do. Reading your scripture is up to you and to me. And engaging in community is up to all of us to do. Now, if you opt out of these things, then you get a half-baked cake, right? Anyone eaten raw chocolate cake before? Right? It goes okay, doesn't it? But if you leave a few things out of it, it tastes real bad. Right? So in some ways, I just want to remind you what I was reminded of this week is that actually our effort, what we put in is what we get out. So if you're finding this as series is just another series, well, have a little think about the amount of effort you've put in and... Um, and see, um, like me, the weeks I've given, you know, no effort to this, I've basically got no results. So let's have a look. This week we are heading towards, it's a straightforward topic, but it is very loaded. So if you've listened to our podcast, 
Um, one of the outlines at the start is that we're basically seeking to understand the character of God displayed through the life and mission of Jesus, right? Makes sense? And in the previous weeks, we've had a look at God as a God who exists in community, right? So it's really difficult for a Christian to say, I'm not connected into community when the God of the Bible himself is connected in community, right? So if it's important for him to be involved in community, it's important for us to be involved in community. So we've seen that God by his nature and his character is good, even when things have gone wrong. God's trustworthy and he's reliable to fulfill the words that he's written in his scriptures. Previously, we've seen that God is generous and that he's loving and he takes great delight in lavishing grace and good gifts upon us. Isn't that nice? What we have seen about God is that he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, which means he gives every person an opportunity each day to choose life. So in this one, we're looking at God is a holy God. There's no shifting shadows in him. And there's no evil in him. And I was thinking about that narrative just by itself this week. And I think some of us really struggle with the idea that God is holy. Right? That he is perfect. That he hasn't made a mistake. Some of us harbour things where we're like, well... God said and he hasn't come through yet, right? That in itself is a narrative that we need to have a look at. Now, when we read the scriptures, we see that the scriptures are, without making it very complicated, we only know about God because God has revealed himself to us, right? So they're his revelation to us about himself. And what we see about God's character and his nature, and his glory. When we read in Revelation, we see that the heavens pause and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? So imagine this for a moment, because it's God's revelation of who he is to us on the earth. Imagine that every time the goodness of God extends from the heavens to the earth, all of the heavenly creatures pause and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. How much would you get done in a day, do you think? Imagine every time the glory of Jesus is manifest upon the earth, that the heavens declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every time humanity joins in partnership with his Holy Spirit, there is a declaration that echoes throughout the heavens, which is holy, 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 right? Now, if we head to Revelation 4, verses 8, we see that the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, that's pretty cool, just in itself, right? Are full of eyes all around and within. That's pretty cool too. 
And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, right? The creatures with eyes that have them all around and within clearly see God's character, right? We have two eyes. We see what we see. Imagine a creature that we can't imagine covered in eyes and what they could see. And their response is, holy, holy, holy is the nature of God, the character of God, the work of God. They're testifying to his righteousness, to his gloriousness, his faithfulness, his love, his generosity. Right? And their response is, holy, holy, holy. It's cool. So, what's holiness? Any takers? There you go. Anybody else? We tend to think of it as purity, right? Well, I want to thank the Bible Project. They do an amazing job for us and help us to understand. This is from their study notes on... Um, what is holiness, and you can watch the video uh, at a later date. It's about six minutes or so, so it's a good one. Um, what is holiness? Well, we'll go through it together. Holiness is a biblical word that means unique and set apart. So straight off the bat, well done. Holiness in Hebrew and Greek, two different words. The f- two times that we see that they've appeared first in Scripture, uh, was on the Sabbath day. It's interesting, isn't it? God sanctifies, he makes it holy by setting it apart, right? As a day of rest from all work to enjoy creation. So Genesis 2, 3. Then the second time we see it is the holy ground around the burning bush. God's presence is so powerful and unique that it makes the area surrounding it his presence sets that apart. So what can be holy? People and places and things are considered holy because they have a close relationship to God. Right? They're not holy within themselves. It is God's character and nature uh, and presence and glory that makes these things holy. Uh, we see there, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is only one beside you. So God's holiness is a way of thinking about God's character and his nature. He is the most unique, powerful, beautiful, good being in all of the universe. Right? The Bible Project, uh, in their video, talk about the sun. And they have a little rocket <laughs> that goes around the sun and in their picture description, basically what they're saying is this, the, the sun provides life right, to us on earth. It sustains our seasons and our cycles and without it, we all freeze and die, right? The thing about that little rocket is if it starts to go too close to the sun, what happens? It burns up and disappears, right? So there's this, uh, there's this paradox, you might say, which uh, is our next slide. God's holiness is so pure 
and good that it poses a paradox for humans living in the world ruined by sin. So in Isaiah 6, 3, we see that the theme of that is that God's power and purity is the source of all life and it sustains all existence. So just think about that for a moment. God's very power can consume anything, right? So the power and authority that he has allows us to live and breathe upon the earth, right? But what happens is this power and this purity becomes very dangerous to mortal humans when those humans are corrupted by sin. And we know that we're all corrupted by sin. So this paradox is seen most clearly in the dangerous goodness of God's presence, right? The temple was to be kept sacred and separate from all. And we see that only holy priests were allowed into God's direct presence in the temple, right? So Israel knew this side of God really well. And you know why? Because there were priests that didn't come out of there, right? They tied a rope on the priest's leg just to make sure that if it was a bad situation, they didn't lose the whole nation going in to retrieve people, right? They just dragged the guy out. So this sense of power this sense of authority that came with God was well understood for the Israelites, but it's not really well understood for us, right? Isaiah has this strange vision in Isaiah 6, and uh, they go into a great detail in the video, but we see that Isaiah is in the temple. Now, he didn't belong there, And he was in the direct presence of God, which essentially is a death sentence, okay, for human beings. He's terrified. So imagine having a dream. You ever had those dreams where you're like a fighter pilot or you're falling off a cliff or ever had those dreams where something is happening to you that you can't control what's happening to you and you can't work out whether it's life or if it's a dream? Well, this is what's happening to Isaiah here. He is, he is having a dream and realising I'm standing in the presence of God and I am surely about to, to die. This is my last moment. And instead of being destroy, in, destroyed, God has this holy coal, right? Pulls it out of the flames, takes it to him and applies it to his lips. <laughs> Strange imagery, right? Why, why the lips? Why not the hands? Why not the eyes? Right? Anyone? Anyone know why the lips? Speak, right? I actually don't know. I thought someone would tell me. <laughs> no? That's okay. I didn't research that bit. <clears throat> Got to be honest. <laughs> so what we see here is that instead of the temple being contaminated by Isaiah's presence, the opposite happens. We see that God takes his holiness and he transfers it to Isaiah. 
And what we see here is that the rules for the priests not coming into the Lord's presence were not so much because they defiled the temple. It was actually that, so in essence, God doesn't need to be protected from the impurity of sin, right? But it's our sin, it's us, and when we sin, that become endangered by the Lord's presence. So in the series, we're talking about Jesus, the life and the mission, the person and work of Jesus. And so let's have a look at it in the life of that. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. Okay, So God's presence is now come upon the earth in a powerful way. So when Jesus made that declaration, the Israelites had some understanding of the holy God has come. Okay? Right? Jesus, we see, actually moves towards the lepers and the sick, those who need healing. But those people were considered unclean. They were unfit to come into the Lord's presence. Right? And I've got some examples there. Jesus' contact with the leper, the bleeding woman, the dead boy. Each time Jesus engaged with these people, he was ritually unclean. Okay, But what we see is that his holiness and his purity transfers to the person, to the individual. And we see that healing comes, deliverance comes. And their bodies get restored. The next one in Mark 7, Jesus declared that people are not made impure by anything that touches or enters their bodies, but rather by the moral corruption and selfishness that comes out of their hearts and their minds. That's the text most people connect with the holiness of God, the meaning of the holiness of God. He's without moral corruption, without selfishness. Next one down, Jesus claimed in an interesting statement, he says, I am the new temple. I will tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it, right? The Israelites understood that this was the place where God met people and people met with God. And Jesus extended forgiveness to those who had sinned. Outside the temple and even before his death. Isn't that an amazing thought? So how do we reconcile this, this news when Jesus says things like this in John 3, 36? He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life but must endure God's wrath. Okay, that turned pretty quickly. <laughs> Who brings that out? The barbecue, family barbecue, right? Nobody. We, we tend to stay away from these scriptures. But Jesus addresses them quite directly here. He says another one in John 5. He says, Don't be astonished at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Well, condemnation and God's wrath are bad news today. Put that on your Facebook and you get booed. Probably get banned and kicked off, right? But the Apostle Paul says something as well. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So Jesus and Paul make something very clear here. And these are really heavy statements. This is what he says, or both of them say. God's holiness, his character and his nature, does not allow sin that we commit against God and sin we commit against one another. Those sins require payment. Now, I've put in my notes here, just leave a little pause. But it doesn't feel nice when we think about that. Because it makes us stop and realise, actually, you know what? I've done the wrong thing by this person. And I owe something to God for that. So when we hear preaching about God's grace, we've got to pause a moment and we've got to look at the cross and we've got to see that that grace that God extends to humanity came at the highest Possible cost. But wrath simply means God's rightful action to right a wrong. Now what we're not often told is that God's wrath is not like human wrath. Meaning it is not reckless. It's not irrational anger. God's wrath is actually very mindful. It has an objective. And it's rational. And it's directed always towards evil. Right? Always towards evil. So as I was writing this, I sat down and thought, aren't, we so grateful that God is not indifferent to evil? Are we grateful that when we read scripture it says that God will wipe away every tear that we've cried as a result of evil? Aren't we grateful that God made a way for you and for me and for us to come out from underneath that? So herein lies the truth of God's gracious and holy nature as displayed in the life 
and mission of Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came to earth, the prophet Isaiah said this, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah is pointing forward to something here. God himself is righting a wrong that neither he caused or participated in. Many of us know this one, and let's read it again with fresh eyes. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we paraphrase what Jesus is saying here, We could say it like this. Father, I know the very essence of your character is love. So Father, right the wrongs of the world and do it through me. Let me go to the people. Let me cleanse them. Let me heal them. I'll be pierced for them. I'll be accused and I'll be cursed for them. I'll be wounded for them. And as I do it, give them the eternal life that I have. Give them the community that we have. Cleanse them because you made them holy. Just as you are holy. So as we think about this, let's look at the cross and let's remind ourselves that Jesus who knew no sin, no evil, suffered sin and evil on our behalf. And he did it because God wanted to right a wrong. So in this series we're talking about narratives. So what narratives do we harbour about God's wrath? His love or his holiness. I've got a couple of examples. False narratives. Do you believe that God still owes you something? My life's turned out not the way you promised. Do you believe that God is unjust? 
remember he's not responsible for anything that has happened to you and me in our lives as a result of evil. This one, I think, is a common one. Do you believe God is just waiting to pour out his wrath upon you as soon as you sin? This is probably the most common one for us because we don't understand the holiness of God in the way that the Israelites understood it. The last one, do you believe God's grace allows you to keep sinning against God and others by word and deed and you get away with it? Oh, Christ has paid it all, fantastic. We don't feel that way when the injustice happens to us quite often. We want the person to pay for it. So is God unjust by addressing sin? Maybe God doesn't really care about us. He just wants things to be right. You've done the wrong thing, you've got to pay it. Well, the true narratives, which is the uplifting part of this, God's done everything in Jesus to release you from sin and death. True narratives, God is just and he will banish all evil from his kingdom. The third one there, God is gracious. But Jesus says we'll be held to account for every careless word and deed. That's a bit strange, right? So we live in this tension of grace and repentance. Lord, I've done the wrong thing against you and against someone else. I receive your forgiveness. And I thank you for what you did on the cross. Lord, I forgive that person for what they have done for me, to me, against me. Because of what you have done on the cross. You are writing that evil, that wrong. You are writing it and you've done it through the life and work of Jesus. So how do we understand ourselves in terms of community now? The Israelites had a good understanding of this. Jesus extended the meaning of it. So when Jesus came to the earth, he established the kingdom of God through his followers as the new temple. This is where God's holiness meets with his people and he changes them forever. So our role as a community is to invite others to become new temples. Right? Come and see what the Lord's done in us. Come and be a part of it yourself. God's holiness is to be seen and experienced through us to others as God's temple. So this is who we are to be. And as a community, we're to be the meeting place of God with people. You experienced that in worship tonight. 
the presence of the Lord resting on a group of people. As we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the declaration of his holiness, of his nature and of his character. So let's stand. And we're just going to take a minute because that was heavy. And we're just going to think through the false narratives. What are some of the false narratives? Holy Spirit, we invite you just to come and set us free. Because that's what this is about. This is about us living in freedom. It's about us coming out from underneath lies. And we're just going to take some time now. This is on your sheet every week, so I encourage you as these things come to mind, just pray through these and do it in your own time. So I'm going to read it with us. Lord, I confess that I have allowed false narratives to affect the way I relate to you. I have believed the lie that. If someone comes to mind, just bring them before the Lord. I forgive that person and anyone who's contributed to my forming this false narrative. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for receiving this false narrative, for living my life based on it, and for any way I have judged others because of it. I receive your forgiveness. I renounce and break my agreement with this narrative and any powers of darkness behind it. If you're getting uncomfortable now, it's okay. Just going to pause in this spot. If you need to say that again, say that again. I renounce and break my agreement with this narrative and any powers of darkness behind it. More Lord, we thank you. The last part is choosing to accept and believe and receive. Accept, believe and receive. Three parts to it. Sometimes we can accept, sometimes we can believe, but sometimes we don't receive the truth. So, what do you want to choose? What is the truth about God that you want to choose to accept and believe and receive? Just make it personal.
More, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your healing power. Lord, if there's more work for us to do, if there's more personal repentance to do, pray that you'd bring it to mind. Let us just square it up and get rid of it. Truth is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. That is the good news. So we have nothing to fear coming into the presence of God in repentance. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us dearly. Give yourself to us. lavish your grace on us and Jesus we thank you that you gave Isaiah the word 700 years before you arrived that you would come and that you would give it all to right the wrongs of the earth So, Lord, come and cleanse our hearts. Come and cleanse our minds. Bring deliverance and healing. Bring joy. We bless you, Lord. Lord, maybe we be a community of holy temples where people get to meet with you. Amen.